This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions. Because it's time to dish the dirt. On the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Brought to you by Scott's. And a good morning from the sous chef, Frank Proctor, as we uh, join you on this long holiday weekend. And, hey, uh, the weather's really looking super. I mean, we're going to maybe have a little bit of shower activity today. but Which we actually tomorrow, need. Yeah. We yeah. do need some rain. But yesterday was perfect for Canada Day, was it not? Was it mm-hmm. not? And of course, oh, a little yeah. rain in the evening is always perfect mm-hmm. because tomorrow's going to be gorgeous as well. Absolutely. And I think I watched more of Will and Kate's arrival in Ottawa than you did somehow. I think you're yes. correct about that. Well, I'm, I'm very... Very much a monarchist. Uh, Clearly, I, no, no uh, hesitation <laughs> in saying that. And I just, just as we were sitting here, mm-hmm. I thought, why is that? My dad, when he was a, a vet at, in, in a veterans hospital in mm-hmm. in London in his later years, he met the Queen Mum, and she came over and actually shook his hand Neat. and talked to him about some medals he had on his chest. And Di, my wife, when she was in Confederation Center doing uh, Anne of Green Gables, Josie Pye, the mm-hmm. Queen Mum. Came by and shook her hand. We've got a picture of that. Wow, so you got a real queen mum yeah, connection. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I saw the queen mum, though I didn't shake her hand, um, way, way, way back. She was visiting. Uh-huh. And you remember the E.P. Taylor estate? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the your, horses. Exactly, yeah. the horses, the stables, mm-hmm. Northern Dancer, all that. She was staying there. And my mom and I went and stood on the corner and waved when she went by. <laughs> well, there you go. But you can see how people get really excited about this. And I think it's a great thing. People might complain about the 1.5 mil it's cost Canadian government, but all the press we're getting on it, all the, what, 1,300 journalists from around the world are here focusing on Canada. On so, what Kate is wearing. And, oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> now, you're wearing your togs today, well, your thank you. sporty togs. You're looking rather peachy yourself. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> we are here to talk about gardening. Yes, uh, that's how as it I may swung seem. that in. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought you'd get me back on track somehow. Okay, yeah, any gardening question you have will uh, certainly, we... Uh, Charlie will try to answer for you. And the phone number here in Toronto, 416-360-0740. Anywhere else in the province, it's toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. The mantra, as our producer David Gaskin knows all too well, that's call early, call often, one question per call. You're good. You've practiced that. I did. Okay, a couple upcoming upcoming events, things to mark in your calendar. The Niagara Parks Botanical Gardens and School of Horticulture is hosting a whole bunch of seminars this summer and fall. So things to put in your calendar upcoming this Wednesday, July the 6th, from 6 to 8 p.m., you can learn about Plants for Shade. The pro- for more information about the whole program, details about any of the individual seminars, and to download a registration form, just go to niagaraparks.com slash learning or phone Leslie at 905-356-8554, extension 221. Uh, okay, so 
Also coming up this Thursday, July 7th, it's the second concert in the Edwards Summer Music Series, Gardens of Song. The Toronto Botanical Gardens will be offering a concert in the gardens every Thursday evening from 7 to 8.30, free of charge, thanks to generous support from the Edwards Charitable Foundation. This week, the featured artists are Ladies of the Canyon. So that's kind of neat, eh? Music in the Garden. Mm-hmm. So speaking of music in the garden, Harborfront Centre's Summer Music in the Garden returns to the Toronto Music Garden with the 12th season of free performances and popular garden tours. Have you ever been to the Music Garden? No, I have i got to take you there sometime. It's such a nice garden. Uh, it's here in Toronto. So just on, <clears throat> on now, every Thursday evening, right through until September 18th, Summer Music in the Garden presents 17 free outdoor concerts, feature more than 58 artists. Where, where exactly is it? Concerts it? take place at 7 o'clock on Thursdays and 4 o'clock on Sundays, weather permitting. It, the free tours of the Toronto Music Garden, led by volunteers from the Toronto Botanical Garden, also take place Wednesdays 11 through till the end of September and on Thursdays just before the concert. Mm-hmm. So admission to the park is always free and open to all ages, including tours and concerts. Visitors to the garden can also enjoy an audio tour with commentary from, and this is what's so neat about the, gar- the music garden, is that the designers of the Toronto Music Garden are Yo-Yo Ma and oh, Julie okay. Moir Maservi. And the two of them came together and came up I've with this design. Then. I know. And there's yeah. an audio tour. You can rent it for, I think it's $6. Yeah, $6 at the Harbour Front Centre's Marina Key West office. So <clears throat> just to be clear where this all is, the Toronto Music Garden is a city of Toronto park. It's located on the waterfront at 475 Queens Key West between Bathurst Street and Spadina Avenue. All right. The garden is wheelchair accessible. It's open year-round. For more information on current programs and to check on the concert status, you can call Harborfront Centre or visit harborfrontcentre.com, Toronto Music Garden. Terrific. Yeah, no, I have been there. Suddenly dawned on me of, oh, yo, yo, ma, that kind of triggered yeah, for me. Yeah, because the, the garden is designed as as movements in the... Music. In music, yeah, yep. exactly. So, of course, I'm not much of a musician, so I can't really explain it very well, but it's really cool the way they explain it. I don't it. know. You you and a comb and a piece of wax paper, you could do wonders, <laughs> Or I'm spoons. Sure. I'm good yeah. on spoons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're all set to take calls, are we? Uh, very good. Okay. We'll be back in just a moment. Have a chat with Elizabeth, who's calling in from Brampton, after these words on AM740's Charlie Dobbin Garden Show. Friends say she's down to earth, and that's usually where you'll find her. Welcome back to the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, brought to you by Scott's. And on this long holiday weekend, let's uh, welcome Elizabeth from Brampton to the line. Good morning, Elizabeth. Um, good morning. I have some rose food. It's 12.48 with 1% magnesium, 1% iron with 0.25% chelated iron. Mm-hmm. And since I no longer have any roses... I wondered what I could do with it. (laughs) That's great. It's a good question. And it says rose food right on the bag, right? Well, what have you got in the garden that flowers? Oh, quite a few perennials, Mm -hmm. um, peonies, Mm -hmm. and... uh, um, And shrubs. Mine's gone blank. (laughs) It's all right. Do you have any flowering shrubs? Uh, I have a couple Japanese maples. Mm -hmm. I have a flowering uh, crabapple. Mm-hmm. which is slowly dying on me. Aww. Um, bleeding heart. Okay. Now, have you fertilized any of the garden plants this year at all? Oh, yes. I use 20-20-20 every summer. Mm-hmm. 
Every summer, every spring, you mean? Yeah, right. Well, no, I use that uh, every two weeks all summer long. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, all right, so here's your option. The 1248 that you have in the cupboard that says it's for roses yes. can be used on any of the plants you've mentioned, whether it's Japanese maple or peonies or bleeding hearts. Any of those plants would definitely benefit from the addition of the rose food that you have. Okay. But you would not use that as well as the 20 20 20. So it's one or the other. And I assume that the 1248 you have is a granular fertilizer. Yes. And granular fertilizers need, we, we basically broadcast them on the surface of the soil, kind of like we're feeding the chickens, you know, right. we put it out there. And then rain and, and um, irrigation causes the fertilizer to become soluble and takes, you know, gravity takes it down through the soil to the plant's roots. Yeah. So, now, will that do for the annuals as well? Yes, it will. Okay. But so, I was just going to say, remember, granular fertilizers last longer in the soil. So if we use granular fertilizers, we don't use them any more often than every six weeks. Six weeks. Versus a water-soluble, which you mix in your watering can. You can use those every two weeks because they are soluble right away. Yes. Right. Okay. So I, I, used, I fertilized everything last Saturday. Okay. So when do I start with the rose food? Hmm, you know what? At this point, I'd be inclined... You have two options. One is you could put it on next week. Okay. Following the instructions in terms of how much per plant or okay. per square foot or whatever. Right. Uh, and then don't do any more fertilizing at all, right? Because we always stop doing all our fertilizing by the end of July. Yes. Other than for our annuals. Yes. So if you do use this rose food next week, then that'll be it. You won't do any more fertilizing till next spring. Okay. 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 Well, thank you ever so much. You're very welcome. All right. Then. Thank you, Bye. Elizabeth. That's uh, a, that was a good question, actually, because yeah. there's a lot of times we do have fertilizer on the shelf, and it says, you know, tomato food or clematis yeah. food, and we think we can only use it on those plants. But, you know, you're not going to throw it away just because you don't have tomatoes. Case right? in point. Yeah. Well, yeah. No roses, use use the product got, up. Got rose food. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, it's 918. Let's go to the line here and talk to uh, John, who's on the line from Burlington. Good morning, John. Good morning. Morning. Uh, I have tomato plants mm-hmm. in the patio. Some that I have grown uh, to start with in triple mix, and I put on some uh, miracle Grow and eggshells. Mm-hmm. I also have one that I bought the nursery, which has already been pre-started mm-hmm. in a pot. And what it came just this week, I see two tomatoes, one about the size of a golf ball mm-hmm. and one a little smaller mm-hmm. with black rock. Oh, whoops. So you're, well, you're seeing... And I'm um, doing the same, like, uh, on the other ones, uh, naturally I have no tomatoes because it's very... They're young, early. yeah. But I have a lot of uh, flowers. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay? But the one that was all, have a very light green foliage, the one I got at the nursery is a very dark green foliage, mm-hmm. Okay. Already pre-potted and pre-started. And are all your tomatoes in pots, or are they in the ground? Uh, already on pots. Okay. So and I put Miracle Grow eggshells. And I heard the other day that Epsom salts is not bad. Epsom salt is good. Magnesium sulfate. <clears throat> what causes my black rot? Well, the black rot. So you're saying that one fruit, that one tomato, has got black, and it started on Two the. Two of them. The one that's the size of a golf ball, and the one that's a little smaller. Oh, they both are looking rotten. It, well, they're black, black rot on the bottom. Yeah. I turned it over, so I cut them off. Good. Good. And just put them in the composter. It's probably, when, whenever we see a tomato start to um, suffer and, and turn yucky looking from the very bottom of the fruit, it's what is called 
um, blossom and rot because yeah. that's the blossom end of the of the tomato. Why does it happen? There's t- we used to say it happened because of lack of calcium, and that's why you're doing the eggshells. That's right. The pro- keep in mind though that it takes a very long time for the calcium to actually become soluble from eggshells. Yes. So that's a very long process. But then they started doing a little more research, and the, the jury's a little bit out on exactly why blossom end rot happens. One of the reasons they think it happens is because of, um, what's the word, erratic watering. Now, the, one, the, the plant you got from the garden center that was all ready to go and came with flowers and even a few fruits, it may have suffered for lack of water. It may have had a lot of water and then no water and then a lot of water and no water. And that well, stress... In my patio, where I am in Burlington, we've had a lot of rain. Well, exactly. And I'm sure you've taken good care, but you know what happens in a garden center. There's thousands of plants, and the staff are not always on top of every plant every hour of every day. And yes, we've had lots of rain, but then we've had some hot, dry yeah. weather in between. Yeah. So I'm thinking that it's possible that it was just that, that insufficient water caused those two fruits to, At the start. to die. Now, I have one there that's just starting, which is about the size of a pea. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I'll watch it. Yes, exactly. And you be careful with your watering. Be very I, consistent. I, I haven't watered it. Well, f- stick your finger in the soil of the pot at the base yeah. of the plants. Yeah. When it starts to dry down a bit, I mean, we are expecting rain tonight, yeah. but it's been very dry for three days now with wind and sun. So keep on, make sure that your tomatoes do not suffer for lack of water. Keep oh, them I, evenly I, moist. I water them well. Excellent. Okay, great. Good to hear. And of course, they have uh, good drainage. The Epsom salts okay? Yes. Follow the, the instructions on Epsom salts for tomatoes is one tablespoon of Epsom salt every two weeks for each foot of height of your existing plants. Okay. Now, the, the, uh, the ones that I planted in the triple mix and so on mm-hmm. are very light green and just going like crazy. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's the miracle uh, grow. Yeah. Another thing that I paid a whole bunch of money for that was already pre-started. <laughs> It's causing me a problem. Okay, well, keep it in the sunshine. Be careful with your watering, and don't hesitate to use some Epsom salts for all of them. Thanks so okay, much, thanks. John. Yeah, we <laughs> okay. have to, we have to kind of move along here. Nine, coming around to nine twenty-two on the AM seven forty's Charlie Dobbin Garden Show, and it's time uh, once again to do our exercises. Absolutely, because I'm in my spandex outfit, so uh, I'll stand up and do my exercises. Okay, bend over, Frank. Frank. <laughs> Spandex. It was lycra last oh, lycra. week. Oh, I don't know my fabric. <laughs> and it's the color that's just so sh- sharp. You should see. Frank is in peach today. <laughs> I tell you, it's a good thing there's no camera in here. All right, we're laughing and giggling, but both of us, both Frank and I, very consistently, every single day, take three little pills called Sierra Sill. And this is what provides us the opportunity to wear spandex and laugh about it because we can stay active and pain-free. There's no no creaky joints from us. We are just nice and loose and limber because we find Sierra Sill uh, helps with any kind of sore bits that might happen just through age and through being active we get sore so sierra still has worked for both of us and it might work for you for more information give them a call 1-877-JOINT-14 there are hundreds of sources for tips on gardening but you need only one the am740 garden show with charlie dobbin continues brought to you by scott's Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden, along with Charlie Dobbin, the master gardener, delighted to be with you this Saturday, partner of the long holiday weekend, and we're welcoming Tom from Hamilton to the line. Hi, Tom. Well, good morning. Morning. Good morning, Charlie. 
Uh, that uh, would be really something. You took a picture of Frank in the Spanish <laughs> and give it to the promotion. Yes, <clears throat> I, I was feared of that. <laughs> it's the color that's the best. <laughs> I, I have a problem I, with uh, I've got a line of uh, pine trees, a few short needles and a few more scotch pine type, but big trees. Mm-hmm. And what has happened on, I believe, on the short pine needle trees, uh, a surface root has come up 20 feet from from the tree mm-hmm. and it runs for about six feet then heads down again and there's a little root about a these are about two inch roots roughly the other one there's a little one kind of overlapping it all of a sudden and it's fighting with the lawnmower occasionally so mm. i don't know whether to just hill it over with dirt uh, so you know or else just kind of cut it cut it off that small root and the mm. other problem is with the, the big root has gone down, you know, mm-hmm. uh, beneath ground. It's heading toward uh, my house, which is about 15, 20 feet away from there. And I'm just wondering whether it will hit the uh, concrete blocks and kind of go down toward the weepers or whether it will just kind of go sideways, sideways. I don't know whether that's a problem or not. Generally, pine trees are not a problem around buildings because right. generally speaking, pine trees have quite deep roots. They actually have a tap root. And uh-huh. so they're not like, you know, willow trees or so, even, you know, Norway maples, things that have a ton of fibrous roots on the surface. Yeah. They tend to have very naturally as deep a roots as they possibly can. Now, the fact that the pine tree sent a root up like it did would indicate that there was a reason for that, that there's either bedrock quite close to the surface or even a stream of water close, you know, a high water table um, or something because um, roots will always stay below ground when given the option. Like they, they'll, sure. you know, grow around obstacles. And when they do often run into our foundation, they usually just grow around it. They don't right. tend to grow into it unless they're super rooty type plants like, you know, weeping willows and that sort of plant. So I wouldn't worry about the house, but the question about the the root that's on the surface and the fact that you're hitting it with a lawnmower, yeah, you're right. Two options. One is you get out your axe and you chop out that chunk of root, obviously killing what's beyond. What's the health of the trees like? Are are they good or, you know, would you say they're middling or how how would you describe the the health and and welfare of the the, uh, the trees? They're pretty pretty healthy. They're about 40 feet high. Mm Mm-hmm. Big trees. Right. And you have lived there for those 40 years. You planted them, and they look good. They're green. They're full. Yeah, there's a few uh, uh, on the one side where it doesn't get sun. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, One of them there, there's some uh, dead branches, but I think they're just not very far up. They just need to... You get up in the ladder and trim them off. I've just been lazier. No, that's okay. Yeah, and very naturally, pines do uh, lose their lower branches. That's yeah. very, very what's supposed to happen. Sure. All the new growth is at the top, and slowly but surely, you know, pines, as they get taller, they lose their lower limbs. So not a problem that way. So, um, like... So chopping or, her dig- or covering... See, the, the covering thing doesn't really work. Because the the one we always know roots and plants need water, and we know they need sun, and they need you know fruit, fruit, food or fertilizer. But we often forget that plants need air. The roots need air, which is one of the reasons that roots do grow near the surface is because they're in soggy conditions, and they will grow higher in the soil to get sufficient oxygen. And so when we have a root up on the surface like that, and then we try and cover it, 
we're base we're just causing the plant to grow higher and like, more more stress on the on the tree too yeah everything. like it's there for a yeah. reason that root so well, maybe to, you just get the axe out and get rid of both the, the bigger root and the smaller one in that area where it's uh, up to the level that's know. right and yeah. if you take out that chunk of root we right. know that the tree's got you know thousands of other roots that are going to you know, look after the, the needs of the plant sure. if it's healthy. If it, if the plant is not healthy, I would never, ever do any root damage. I would try and do everything right. to maintain maintain the roots. But by the sounds of it, I don't be inclined exactly. I just get out the act. I mean, you'll dig the soil away. Keep in mind that if you want to make a clean cut when you do cut that root, you don't want it to be all ragged and jagged and messy because the plant does have to heal that, that wound. Should you paint it with horticultural no, painter? No, never. Don't worry about ever painting any pruning well, cuts. like underground, just cut it on a neat cut. Exactly. Okay, nice clean cut, min, you know, with a minimal wound as, as you can, and then obviously soil back in place, tamp it all down, and carry on. Well, this is one thing I just want to quickly mention is we, in the spring, my wife called in about a butterfly bush, mm-hmm. and it seemed to be uh, there was no there was no life to it. Mm-hmm. So you told her, my wife to cut it down, mm-hmm. which she did. And now we've got a bunch of shoots coming up. So this is, I guess, should we be fertilizing it uh, when it's about six inches? If you haven't fertilized it at all, have you fertilized the, the garden or the butterfly bush at all this season? No. Okay, yeah, definitely. All our garden plants should get at least one good feeding in the, in the spring. And, of course, we're, we're sort of past spring into summer now. But if you haven't fertilized, definitely at least do it once. Do, do it once and then let, wait and see what happens. Oh, yeah, it's going to keep growing. It'll be fine. Yeah, it's, uh, hopefully, because it was a beautiful kind of a bush and uh, it, there was no growth at all. We cut it down and now there's sprouts coming up. They're Thanks. up, you know. I guess seven, eight inches, whatever. Perfect. And, uh, it seems to be doing good. And it'll be flowering in the next six weeks. Oh, that's great. All hey, right. that's great, Tom. Thank you very much, yeah, have, Tom. Have a good weekend. Thank and you. And the same you. you. Thank you. Uh, I'm just waiting now to decide whether I add a cape to my uh, spandex outfit here for the promotional <laughs> photos that will follow. Yeah, thanks for that idea. That's Very good. good. Shiny. Go for shiny. Shiny? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, a cape. I and like I shiny do, things. I do like the peach color, too. <laughs> All right. It goes well with the garden show. 931 on the garden show. And we have a special mm. guest. Yes. Uh, I had failed to mention at the top of the show that, uh, obviously... It's very special. This is um, joining us, Sean James. He is the president of his own company, and he calls it Fern Ridge uh, Landscaping. Fern Ridge Landscaping. What his company does is eco-consulting, design, installation, and maintenance. But I've asked Sean to join us because Sean's pretty on top of what's going on with the emerald ash borers. And oh, as yeah, you this know, is top news this, really. Isn't there's it? stuff yeah. going on around you know new sightings and and things we have to do to try and avoid the spread of emerald ash borers and et cetera, et cetera. So Sean's here to bring us up to date on what's going on. Hey, good morning, good morning Sean. Good morning. How yeah. you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good. Uh, this is Frank. Hi, Sean. Hey, Frank. <laughs> uh, we used to call him my undergardener, but I think I might call him my, you know, superhero uh, assistant gardener or something. If you've been listening, we're making jokes about him wearing lycra and capes. <laughs> All in peace. All well, in peace. the pride parade's coming up. I could go in that tomorrow. You, you know, could. there you go. And, and, of course, this, you know, it's topical because with the emerald ash borer, I mean, Frank is, yeah. you know, out to save plants. So he wants to learn just like we all do. What can you tell us about these, what's going on in the, the world of emerald ash borers over the last week or two? Well, it's pretty serious. It, it was discovered uh, quite a while, actually not that long ago, in 2002 in Detroit and Windsor, and it's since spread pretty much all across southern Ontario um, from Huron County and Lake Simcoe all the way down to Lake Ontario. And uh, I encountered it a couple of weeks ago 
um, the D-shaped exit holes in the bark, mm-hmm. uh, it starts coming out in May. The adults start emerging. And we were trying to figure out how to dispose of it. And I, I spoke to uh, uh, some expert friends of mine, um, and we decided that it had already spread into my very natural neck of the woods near Crawford Lake. Mm. So there was really no point in in our area being careful with it because it was already there, which is uh, a real tragedy. Disheartening. Where's Crawford Lake? Uh, Crawford Lake's in Campbellville. It's a beautiful conservation area uh, that's mm. been perfectly preserved. And it's it's such a shame because in the fall, you know, you have all the colors and the only purple mm-hmm. in, the, in the fall canopy is from our native ash trees. So mm-hmm. we're going to lose a whole, a whole color of the spectrum from our fall color. Interesting you say that, because where I was raised in North Toronto, which is now part of Toronto, mm-hmm. we were on a ravine, part of the Don Valley Ravine, and we had monster maples and monster ash. Yep. And like you say, in the fall, you get all the red and orange off the maples, but the purple of the ash was so distinctive. There's one right outside my office window, and, and I love looking at it in the fall with a beautiful larch tree behind it with the bright yellow. Yeah, with the bright yellow. Such a shame. Gorgeous. The thing is that some of them, are going to live. Mm-hmm. Some of them will be resistant. I'm, I'm very afraid that folks are going to just rush out and cut down any infected tree because they, some of them will survive. So, okay, so ha- first off, how do you... I'm a homeowner, say. Mm-hmm. I've got ash trees on my property, and I also have city property with ash trees, you know, that, that right. right-of-way along the street that's got a big ash. How do I know to look? You mentioned D-shaped, but those are very small, those little tiny they are, holes. They're very small, yeah. They're only three to four millimeters across. Right, so I'm not going to see that in the bark. You'll Normal people some, wouldn't see that, Tron. <laughs> sawdust. Right, okay, sawdust, um, yeah. And you may see vertical splits in the bark, and you'll also, with any tree... If the tree is under stress, you look at the very top and you look for crown dieback, and that's going to tell you how healthy the tree is. Okay, so crown dieback meaning there's no leaves up on some of the branches that's at the right, top yeah. of the tree. And ash trees are actually fairly easy to recognize. There's only two native trees that are opposite, which is to say that the branches come out opposite to, to each other on the stem, mm-hmm. as opposed to one branch and a little further up, another branch, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also have compound leaves, which means there's... For each leaf, there's multiple little leaflets, five to seven leaflets on each leaf. Always an odd number. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's really easy to recognize the tree. So a lot of people, uh, I, I got a call a while ago, they had a, a photograph of um, a little red bug, hmm. and they had a, a compound leaf tree, and it was a Manitoba maple. So that was box elder bug, right. which is the other name. People are very aware, which is good, but we have to make really sure that we're dealing with the right tree and the right pest. Right. So your point was, don't assume just because you have an ash. Because, look, I have this number I took off of the City of Toronto Urban Forestry website. Mm-hmm. And they say there that uh, in there are 860,000 ash trees in total on public and private lands in Toronto alone. Yeah. So that's close to a million ash trees. It's crazy that, uh, how big uh, an issue this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once you've seen it, right. uh, well, first of all, you won't you won't mistake it again. Right. Uh, and secondly, it's it's probably it's probably too late. If you're seeing mm-hmm. a lot of exit holes, mm-hmm. the tree is not going to survive. Right. It's and a really good idea if you have an ash tree mm-hmm. to plant something now, a young tree. Don't plant the biggest tree you can plant. No. You want it to adapt. Mm-hmm. And something like an oak 
or a, a, a silver or a red or a sugar or a Jeffrey's red maple, maple yep. um, and get that tree going as soon as you can so that if the ash dies, right. um, then you can go ahead and, you know, you have something to replace it. That's right. So that if the ash dies and has to come down, which yep. it would because we don't leave dead trees just standing in of the, course, the yeah. urban uh, world, uh, then we have a young one coming up in its shadow, basically. Right. So that's a really good point. And, of course, that's one of the things that the, the cities are doing. Yeah. They are putting budgets into planting mm-hmm. to start the replacement because the expectation is we may not lose all this million ashes but even if we lose 90 percent of them or 75 percent of them we still are good that's you know hundreds of thousands of trees yeah 90 percent is probably unfortunately a pretty yeah. accurate number wow. yeah. um one of the things with if if you have a birch tree mm-hmm. one of the best things you can do to prevent the birch borer is is six inches of compost from the like slope it up from the trunk and take it out as far as you can right to the drip line would be good mm-hmm. because insects are kind of like little wolves they're going to attack the weakest mm-hmm. members of the herd first mm-hmm. so if you can keep that tree strong and healthy mm-hmm. with something like compost which enriches the soil and promotes the mycorrhizal growth that beneficial fungus mm-hmm. then you're going to have much greater luck keeping the tree alive for longer mm-hmm. um, and and we do have some neat things in the pipeline for preserving the trees. There, yeah. there are chemicals uh, like triazin, which right. is really expensive and it has to be done every two years. Yeah, now triazin, like you say, it's not really being used in a big way because it is so expensive. Yeah, and, now, it, and it's just a, a control. It's not a cure. Right, and you, if you own an ash, and it's a big, beautiful ash, and it's c- contributing huge value to your property, yep. as an individual private homeowner, you can hire a certified arborist mm-hmm. to come in to inspect your tree, make sure it is healthy now, and start preventing, you know, preventative measures by using the tree as in to try and control that emerald ash borer right, from yeah. getting into your ash. Yep. Public ashes, nobody has that kind of budget for. The city's budgeting for about 250 trees this year, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, for just again, for just the very special trees, right. um, there are some really neat things coming along the line. There's a, a researcher in, in Oakville actually, who's looking at beetles and grubs that have died, mm-hmm. and he's looking at the native uh, predators and diseases that have killed those beetles. So he's found a, a, a native fungi, fungus, and two native predators. Now he's doing a lot more research. It's very early. But there is a degree of hope that we'll be able to find something mm-hmm. that will help it. Um, the Dutch elm disease, when it swept through, we lost almost all the elm trees. They're recovering. Um, when the sweet chestnut disease went through in the right. 20s, we paid a bounty to cut them down. Right. And more trees died. Like Some of them would have lived. Yes, um, that were taken so, down for the bounty. Yeah, But, yeah, but um, you bring up a good point, because the emerald ash borer that came from Asia... Mm-hmm does not cause the demise of ash trees in Asia. Right. Right? So there's, there's some, exactly, there's something going on, yeah. whether it's an environmental thing, or like you say, it's a fungus, or some other bug, or whatever, that is controlling this insect in Asia. Yeah, we had, we had um, West Nile disease a few years ago kill off almost all the crows, and, and, uh, and the blue jays and their relatives, mm-hmm. and they've come back. Right. You know, it, it's terrible. When it happens. But... They recover. Nature recovers. It yeah. bounces back. It's so, given half a chance. Sort of a cyclical sort of thing. The circle of yeah. life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. So your real message then is don't be cutting down every ash just on principle. Yeah. Remember that some will survive, mm-hmm. but be sharp and aware to yep. keep, keep track. Keep healthy. Yeah. Do everything possible to keep the tree healthy. Keep inspecting your trees. Any evidence of sawdust or 
die back to the crown. If it's on city property, call the city. If it's on your own property, call it certified arborist. Exactly. Uh, and if necessary, the trees, they will die. They don't die right away. It takes them two or three years to die. Mm-hmm. So don't expect sort of an overnight death with this particular insect. But it, once the insect is there, chances are the plant will die. The tree will die. You know, yeah, Sean. Definitely planting something like a, a, a native yeah. tree. Um, even re- a hackberry, yep, to which replace. has a horrible common name, but it's a beautiful tree, yeah. um, is, is a really good idea as soon as possible. To get on the replacement as yep. well. Yeah. Sean, you've been such a good guy to uh, give of your time this morning. Uh, do you have uh, a website that maybe we could send folks to? to... Sure, it's, it's nice and easy. It's uh, www.fernridgelandscaping.com. Okay. Yeah, and it's a great website because uh, Sean does a lot of educational work as part of his love of the garden. His he loves to, you can tell, yeah. <laughs> explain stuff to people. <laughs> well, that's great. No, it's, it's been a, it's been super interesting. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Bye. Sean. Take care. We'll talk soon. You have a good day. All righty. All righty. Coming up uh, to nine forty-two now on Charlie Dobbins' Garden Show here at AM's. I, I sounded like a from Boston garden show. Garden show. No, I thought yeah. you were going royal on me uh, for a minute there. Well, yes, well, actually, I was <laughs> Terry Thomas. Yeah. Yes. Well, the garden show is going. (laughs) The garden show and the questions and the callers will return right after these words. (laughs) You supply the what and where, and she'll come through with the how. You're listening to the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, brought to you by Scott's. And I'm Frank Proctor, the sous chef or super. Uh, 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 hero uh, of the garden. Yeah, superhero. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I like that. Past fighter, problem <laughs> yes. fighter. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, Savior I, of all things green. I, I'm going to have to save myself if we soon don't get to Dorothy, <laughs> who's been very patient on the line and uh, calling in from Toronto. Good morning, Dorothy. Good morning. Morning. Um, I'm having trouble with my um, new new uh, no, impatience mm-hmm. or new Guinea impatience. Yeah, new Guinea impatience or sunshine impatience, yeah. And... Uh, where I've got it planted is between cedar bushes, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, miniature Alberta cedar bushes. And they're fine for two weeks, going on three. And then the next thing, they die. Now, they don't die like an ordinary plant does. They sort of, well, it goes, they're invisible. Oh. You don't see the leaves. You don't see the um, the stems. They just shrivel up. Yeah. Okay, so... What I'm thinking is, are they getting any sunlight there at all? Any yes. direct sunlight? Yeah, How many? In the west, uh, comes. Well, I fa- my house faces north, mm-hmm. and the sun comes. Oh, maybe around three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. But the other two, which are about fifteen inches from that, are doing fine. You're sure nobody's stealing them, Dorothy? Well, <laughs> I was thinking maybe. Uh, the raccoons, well, oh, hey. and the squirrels—they don't touch it. No, I have a little chipmunk. <laughs> he probably he runs around. Would is that by any chance? Could somebody have stepped through there between the the little dwarf Alberta spruce trees? I, I didn't hear what you said. Could anybody be using that as a walkway, as a step? Could no, have been no, stepped this on? is my steps. Yeah, um, right near the the cement steps that I have going down the you know from mm-hmm. the front door. Mm-hmm. Nobody walks on that. The only thing I could think of is um, when I mentioned this to where I bought the plants, mm-hmm. he says, well, what kind of soil have you got? Mm-hmm. And right then I thought potting soil. 
Yeah, in the oh, are these little plants in pots? Or are they in the ground? They're in the ground. Right. Okay. So they the potting soil that they came in. Of course, you just took the little plants and popped them down into yeah. the ground. Do you know what's one of the biggest issues when we are trying to fit annual flowers into an existing garden, which is what you're doing, right? You're trying to provide some color where it's green, uh-huh. and the little plants we plant are in a competition with the already existing plants for nutrient and moisture. And in the big competition, the established plants win because they've got the roots out there already. They grab all the moisture and all the nutrient, and then the little newly planted flowers tend to suffer. So Mm -hmm. I think probably what's happening is just in the competition, the little New Guinean patients aren't winning. So what you have to do is... Fill up your watering can, get some miracle grow into that watering can, and uh, like, uh, like every week put some miracle grow, but in between just straight water, water very specifically those little flowers, and just coddle them, TLC them, just really look after them, get their little roots growing, get them filling out, and you'll find that, you know, they're only going to be there till frost anyway. Yeah. But to really make them happen does require a certain amount of extra care just because of that competition with the established plants. There's this miracle grow. Now, do you plant... um do you water it just the soil part, or does it go on the flowers too? Put it on the flowers too, but definitely because remember those little our little flowers, the leaves, etc. They can actually absorb nutrients through their leaves, not through their flowers so much. So yes, as a foliar feed, Miracle Grow is amazing. It's very effective that way. Uh, So definitely don't hesitate to sprinkle it right over top of the flowers, the entire plant, when you're watering, and water thoroughly. So I think that's probably what it is. I I think it's probably just the the competition. They're having trouble. Now, right around that are the the needles that are shed Mm -hmm. from the the cedar bush. Mm -hmm. Would that have anything to do with it? No, it shouldn't. Yes, the needles do cause a little bit of a change to the pH, but they are fully organic, and the organic matter is always good. So don't worry about the little needles. Oh, well, thank you very much. You're welcome, Dorothy. Dorothy. Bye. Joining the Garden Show from Toronto, and uh, we'll be along to have a chat with uh, Thelma in Guelph in just a moment. Uh, I have to make a few adjustments. Oh, wait, I've got to put my cape on and my... Snap. Turn your head. (laughs) Turn your head. I'm putting my spandex on. Oh, tight. Oh, I'm doing my exercises now. Mm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Frank, I tell you, you are such a card. Um, Sierra Sill is what we're going to talk about. Sierra Sill keeps us active and mm. pain-free. You know what happened to me this morning? Let's take my Sierra. I take the three pills in the yes. morning, right? Yes. One fell out of my hand as I was at the, the bathroom sink. And you easily bent down. Oh, in the Yeah, but I had to chase it around the bowl, and I got it before it went down the drain. Good thing. Oh. My goodness, you'd be chasing. You'd have to be flying I, no, right down I, with your cape <laughs> into the drain to get your Sierra Sill pill. It's a, it's a completely natural mineral supplement that it helps us stay limber and makes it possible for us to chase it down the, before it goes down the drain <laughs> yeah, exactly. or get down on the ground and pick it up when we drop it and not whine in pain when doing so. For more information about Sierra Sill, give them a call. one joint 14 Friends say she's down to earth and that's usually where you'll find her. Welcome back to the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, brought to you by Scott's. And the sous chef of the garden, the Cape Crusader, is here at, uh, <laughs> with a watering here, can in oh, one hand and we've been a here flying swatter in the other. All sorts of photographic <laughs> possibilities. But enough of that. Thelma on the line from Guelph. That's a real question. Yes, she's got a real question. Hello, Thelma. Welcome to the morning show. To both of you. Morning. Beautiful morning. 
Good. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. I purchased mm, coleus, mm-hmm. magnificent plants. Mm-hmm. They tell me, though, I have to dig them in the fall if I want to keep them. Mm-hmm. Can they be kept as a house plant? They can, uh, but are they in the garden right now or in pots? Well, they're in the garden. What? Magnificent specimens they are. Okay. Beautiful color. Now tell me, are they... One of the things about coleus is that they tend to grow very tall, uh, and so we, uh, what I like doing is pinching the tips to force them to be uh, have more branches and be a little wider and a little more compact. So my suggestion, rather than waiting till the fall to dig up and try and go through a whole big process to repot and bring them in the house, is consider taking some cuttings now. They're very easy to root from cuttings and start your little plants now. Have, put them into pots once you get a little bit of root growth and then have them outside in the summer put them inside in the fall before frost, and you're all ready to go with little pieces of your existing plants. Well, that's a neat idea. Yeah. Um, I know uh, my dear little rabbit (laughs) has stepped on them and broken them, and it doesn't matter. They just come back twice as strong. Wow, good So they're being pruned by the sounds of it by by your little rabbit. Woohoo. Um, well, uh, either way, yes, I just, it's sometimes it's hard, to, it's very hard to get cuttings to root if we wait and take our cuttings late in the summer. Mm-hmm. It's better if we're going to take cuttings to take them sooner than later, now being an optimal time. If you'd rather say, okay, no, they're, they're, I want to maintain the size of the plants, I don't want to do any radical cutting now, then yeah, absolutely, in the fall, prior to frost, because coleus are very susceptible to cold weather, so probably late August, early September, you'll be digging them up and you'll be repotting and then, you know, doing a whole sort of soap and water bath and bringing them in the house. Now, could you treat them like a dahlia? No. Dahlias really truly are tubers that can go and should go completely dormant for the winter. Uh, Coleus... will not survive. Going. They need to be, I mean, you can, they will slow down anyway as the light levels drop and as the temperatures start to cool, the plant's growth will slow. But you can certainly keep them healthy and alive by just putting them in a sunny windowsill and watering as necessary throughout the winter. Well, I'm going to have to put a conservatory on my house. <laughs> I know. That's my dream, too. It's <laughs> getting a little crowded. Well, thank you very much, oh, Thelma. Thanks, hope that Thelma. Uh, helps you there with your coleus. And coleus are great. Yeah. They're just good plants in sun or shade and beautiful, as, as Thelma said, pretty colors. Looking at the clock at 9.55, time for uh, certainly one more caller mm-hmm. here. Anne from Toronto waiting to talk about a magnolia tree. Good morning, Anne. Welcome good, to the show. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. I've been waiting a long time to get you. I love your shows. Thank you. And um, I'm not a gardener. I don't have a place to grow things. But I want to give my son, who has a lot of property, a magnolia tree. Mm -hmm. And I know this, they grow from very little to huge Very big, yes. Um, What is the best time and the best place on the property to grow these uh, beautiful plants? Well, number number one, the best time to buy, excuse me, and plant a magnolia is the spring. Mm -hmm. You may have trouble even finding magnolia now to buy, to plant, just because they are a spring plant. Because of their spring flowering, um, they are always very impulsively purchased and planted in the spring. Typically, there aren't many left in the stores now, and they do better planted in the spring. Okay. Just like birch. We only plant them in the spring. Um, Where, as long as the plant is going to get at least six hours or more of direct sunlight, Mm -hmm. uh, you can plant it just about anywhere. So it loves the 
the sun. Well, yes, yeah. it has to go in the sun. And remember, this is a plant, <clears throat> particularly if you're getting the big saucer magnolias, the yeah. traditional, looks like tulip flowers. Right. They're going to be 20 feet tall and 20 feet wide. Right. So it's got to have lots of space to be yeah. able to achieve its full size. Oh, well, wow. just a well-drained, good quality, organic-based soil. Yeah, okay. And like we're saying, where's your son? Is he in Toronto or something? Uh, yes, he's in Orton, just near Georgetown area. He okay. has about... Acres and acres yep, yep. of property, so it's uh, it, it'll have lots of space. Right. I just wanted to make sure, and he didn't know either where exactly yeah. it should be. Well, remember, um, depending where he is in Georgetown, this uh, he'll be in zone five. Oh. So when you're buying a magnolia, d- they'll always have the zone on it, the hardiness. Oh, value okay. of the plant. Okay. So if the magnolia you're choosing is also zone five where okay. your son lives, mm-hmm. that means it, it's, it could be a little bit on the tender side for, for where he is, and you don't want to have it grow for two or three or four years and then suddenly die. Oh, the okay. coldest spot on the property is where the prevailing winter wind whistles through, that sort of northwest quadrant. Yeah. So be so aware it, of that. It should not be in the cold part. That's right. That's right. Exactly. So if, you know, and sometimes, you know, it depends the way that the topography is, you know, whether he's high or low with his property and trees and other houses, etc., block wind. But it, may, it for his purposes, it might be best to be looking to the southeast quadrant of South the property. East, that's what I needed to yeah. know. Yeah. Okay. Southeast corner, he should... Yeah, and yeah. lots of room to spread and grow. Right. And the care on it, Charlie, is just leave it be. It doesn't need any other... Make sure it goes into good soil. Make sure it's very much looked after the first year it's planted. Okay. That's the most important year for any of our plants. With that very first year, help them get established. Okay. Help them to get out a good, healthy root system. Don't worry about pruning. Don't worry about flowers. Don't worry about anything. Just okay. concentrate on you know good um, you know quick start type transplanter fertilizer or bone meal when planting and good quality soil. Do you know, Anne? I think that's a lovely gift uh, yeah, to give to your son. I'm so excited! Mm-hmm. I said you got to have something in your parents name well yeah and you'll be able to for years and years and oh, years later yeah. you know say there's the tree that mom gave us you yeah, know yeah right yeah and i've wanted to do this for many years and just didn't know when was the right time yeah. now i thank you very much what about the root system last question mm- how does, does it spread into the buildings no. or anything? No, no, it's not a super extensive or, or invasive root system at all. Okay. Yeah, Thank you're you fine so that way. much, Charlie. You're very keep, welcome. Keep it going. It's, I just loved listening to your programs. Thank both you. Both you and Frank. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Have Anne. a good weekend. And you too. Okay, thank you, Anne. That Bye-bye. is very sweet, that yeah. idea of giving a treat. Reminds me, you know, I don't <clears> often give my mom credit, but my, my mom actually bought, I was really wanted a specific tree years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, couldn't it was a lot of money to buy a tree. I mean, yeah. even then it was like a couple hundred dollars to buy a tree. So my mom said, "Okay, you know, you really want that tree? I'll buy you the tree. You you get it and plant it where it all makes sense, and I'll get it for you." So I did, and it is now a lovely, graceful, gorgeous. It's called a katsura. Yeah, you get happy memories just from looking exactly. at that. Exactly. It's a code. The common name is katsura. The proper name is Circidophyllum. It's it's right in my front lawn. And I'll tell you, speaking of peach, <laughs> the color of your lycra shirt yes, you're wearing yes, there, yes, that's yes. the color of my tree in the fall. Well, it's I should like go marmalade. stand beside and have my photo taken. Yeah. <laughs> no, we wouldn't see you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Charlie Thanks. has been a ball today. Had lots it of fun sure and has. some really interesting questions. Yeah. Thanks to all our callers. Exactly. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Frank. You're always the best. We have fun, don't and we? And we'll see you all again <laughs> next week. This is been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. 
Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.